Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, follow, and please rate and review the podcast. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKenzieBrewing.com to check out their lineup of award-winning craft beers. Got a great show today, PGF Nation. We're going to talk about the Von Miller trade to LA, the Henry Rugg situation in Vegas, Derrick Henry's injury, and some games from week eight in the NFL. A longtime coach gets fired in college football, a crazy top 10 rivalry game, and more from week nine. We'll give out this week's game balls and helmet stickers, update the PGF power rankings of the top 10 teams in the NFL right now, and let Ty tell me where I'm right or wrong. And of course, we'll end the show with our pick six segment, where we'll pick our six best bets of the week ahead. Excited to be joined by radio and podcast legend, my co-host, Tyrone Powell. What is up, Ty? Nothing much, man. In the middle of the Burr months, in the middle of November at that, making a break for the month of December so we can get all the critical games underneath our wing. We have an interesting week of November 6th going into the 7th, and I can't wait to dive into it. Yeah, man, there is so much to get to. Like I said in that intro, guys, we've got a lot to get to. It is crazy. We're getting into the meat and potatoes of the season in NFL and college football. So much going on. But I wanted to start with some news that just broke today. We're recording this on Tuesday night. The episode usually drops late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, as you know, PGF Nation. So this story just dropped today, and I wanted to touch on it here briefly, Ty. Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders, was charged with DUI resulting in death. He crashed his Corvette into the rear of a Toyota RAV4 under the influence and unfortunately tragically killed someone. This story is all over the place right now. It's really hard at this point to know what is going to happen with this. What are your initial thoughts on this? Obviously, we know it's a tragic situation. How, or I should say, how do you think this affects the Raiders on and off the field going forward. This Raider team has been going through far too much in one season, and I think this might be the straw that can break the camel's back. Uh, just a few weeks back, they had a coach that was going through so many different situations of how he viewed certain people. They're trying to overcome that. They're at the top of the AFC West, and knowing that they are the hunted. Even though they're leading the pack, people are coming after them. And you know the long-lasting situation of the Raiders having bad endings to their season, whether it's getting to a Super Bowl and losing to Tampa Bay, having a 12-3 and season and Derek Carr breaks his leg. Something happens to this Raider team. And now, while they're flying high, everything is going according to plan. Even with the situation with Coach Gruden, you have a player that is basically not taking care of business, get into a, a situation, I, I I guess I have to claim it as an accident, but he was negligent to his impairment. This unfortunate situation happens. The reason why I look at this being a, a bad situation for the Raiders, his speed makes you respect players on the field. The safeties have to leave a lot of the time if he's taking the top off the hinges. And uh, you have underneath situation where Renfro and Waller are taking a lot of the responsibility where mismatches are there. 
uh, rugs off of the field. It actually makes a lot of these defenses hone in on these guys that could damage you. And uh, this is where it's going to have to prove if Derek Carr has really been having a successful season with or without pieces missing in the lineup. And I don't know if he has it in him to make this adjustment with a speedster that runs, uh, you know, under a 4-3. Like he's a 4-2 whatever, but he's a, a blazer that defenses have to pay attention to. Now he's off the field. It's unfortunate. Yeah, this is a terrible situation that unfolded. Absolutely tragic. What a terrible decision by him to be driving impaired. The thing that really shocks me with this whole thing is the decision making to drive impaired when you're an NFL athlete, you clearly can afford to have a service to get you home, whether it's an Uber, a taxi, or the NFL itself, because the NFL actually has a program where if you're under the influence, you can contact this program and they will send somebody out to give you a ride. Just a terrible decision that tragically cost somebody their life. This could not only derail the season for the Raiders, but this is clearly going to derail Henry Ruggs' life going forward. It's hard to say if he'll ever play in the NFL again. So it'll be interesting to see how Roger Goodell and the NFL handled this situation going forward and potentially what type of prison sentence he's going to face. I've been reading some reports that say he could face a minimum of two years and a maximum of 20. Highly unlikely that he sees anywhere near the maximum, of course. But at the same time, it's also hard to believe that he's not going to spend some time in prison. Really tragic situation. And you hit it on the head. This Raiders team was really starting to put it together on top of that AFC West division. They had already overcome that terrible Gruden scandal. But now you lose one of your big playmakers on offense, a young guy who was starting to come into his own. Just a terrible situation there all around for Vegas. But to move to a brighter note in the NFL, I want to talk about this big trade that just hit recently before the trade deadline. Von Miller gets traded from the Broncos to the Rams, and the Rams are clearly all in on winning right now, Ty. This was an aggressive move. They traded a second and third round pick for the outside linebacker. Now, what's interesting about this, Ty, is that the Broncos are still going to pay $9 million towards his base salary. So they really manipulated the cap to make this work for them. They gave up some big-time draft capital for a guy who's past his prime, but still a pretty effective player. What are your thoughts on the Von Miller trade? I'm going to go with both sides of the coin. First, I'll start with the Rams. I think that this move definitely helps them get into the Super Bowl contending situation with him and Aaron Donald up front. That That's tough for a lot of quarterbacks to handle, especially in a situation where you have mobile quarterbacks where Garoppolo can take off. Depending on if Russell Wilson does come back, he's a mobile quarterback that could take off. And you can't think, you can't forget or understate the situation of what Kyler Murray brings to the table because he's a scrambler and has had a great season thus far and can take off. If they can get a situation where Aaron Donald is bringing pressure up the middle and whichever side Von Miller is creating presence or pressure there, they can disturb anybody. I think this helps them not only get stops, but get Stafford in the offense the ball back. And Cooper Cup has been having an electric season. Statistically, he's the best receiver in the game. Statistic, well, I don't think all around the board if he's the best receiver, but you got to worry about him. And there's situations when they come out, a linebacker or a nickel corner is lined up against Cooper Cup, and he's been winning all of these matchups. So if this defense is as stout as it is, you got a corner and Jalen Ramsey going up against a lot of these teams' best receivers. This is an ultimate situation for the Rams uh, moving forward. I think they can go up against the Cowboys. I think they can go up against the Buccaneers. And I think they can go up against the Packers. Even though, to me, I think those are the four teams that represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Now, 
the other side of the coin, just like we mentioned the Raiders situation, right? You mean to tell me, Denver Broncos, I am here in PGF, and I'm concerned or disappointed or angered by what you guys did. You mean to tell me, after the fact that this accident situation happens, even though you don't, you know, you can't wake or break the situation, but you get rid of your defensive captain while you guys are a game back from the Raiders and can make a push to get there. Not saying the, the Broncos do win the West. I, I, I know that there's probably a better selected team, whether it's the Chiefs or whether it's the Chargers, maybe the Raiders, but they're in the hunt at this point in time, a game back. And you mean to tell me that you get rid of one of your best components of your strongest piece to the puzzle of your team being your defense. I do not understand this. By the way, they also lost a corner in the wake of this as well. So you got Von Miller going to a team that you're helping them get a Super Bowl while you should be trying to strengthen your team moving forward. I do not understand what the Broncos are up to. They are going backwards. They're losing pieces. I don't even know if Fangio sticks around in this situation. There's a ton of questions that are around this Denver Bronco organization, and I'm I'm disappointed. I think it's a great point, Ty. And like I stated in the beginning there, the Rams are clearly all in and the Broncos are clearly throwing in the towel. You're definitely right about that. They must feel like they just aren't good enough to compete in this division. But you said it. It's not like they're two, three games back in this division. They're in the mix. I find it very surprising that they'd get rid of this guy. The only thing I could think of is that they weren't going to be able to afford him when his salary expired. That's my only concern or only thought there of why they would move off of him. I guess they figured it's better to get some draft capital for him now than a compensatory pick later. But the pros and cons of this, so to speak, for the Rams is that health has been an issue for Miller. He's only started seven games in the past two seasons. We know he's past his prime at 32 years old, but the positive here for the Rams is that he's still on pace for 10 and a half sacks this season, and he still has one of the best pass rush win rates according to next-gen stats. So he's still a guy who can wreck a ball game for an offense. He's still a guy that can pressure the quarterback. And you hit on it. In this division with all these good quarterbacks and all the teams that they potentially could face on a Super Bowl run, whether it's Rodgers, Brady, Murray, you name it, you're going to have to be able to dominate that side of the ball. And the rich get richer here with an aggressive move to get Von Miller I think it was an outstanding move by them. Yes, you give up some of your future, but if you're playing for a Lombardi, why not? And I liked the move overall. Now, some news that I didn't like hearing, and I'm sure most NFL fans were sad to hear about the Derrick Henry injury. This is a guy who was a legit MVP candidate. Reports have stated that his recovery could be anywhere from 6 to 12 weeks after suffering a severe injury to his right foot that's going to require surgery. The Titans have signed Adrian Peterson this week, but Henry leads the NFL in carries and yards by a wide margin tie, and you can make the case that no player is more valuable to his team than Derrick Henry. I, I feel horrible for the situation, and one personally, I have him on my fantasy team, and he was the guy leading the pack. This guy is putting up tremendous amounts of numbers. The one thing that's burning me about his situation is overexerting him or using him too much. His workload was crazy. At this point in time, right now, they're at the midway point in the season. He has over 200 carries at this point in time in the season which could ended up in over 400 carries in a season that would have been his high and also in front of a potential 2,000-yard season right now, which we're robbed of seeing back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons, which is incredible. And he's been a scoring machine getting to the end zone and also throwing touchdowns as well. He's doing everything. 
you're going to lose the impact of the MVP of the season at this point in time. It, it almost feels like we're robbed at the same time when Carson Wentz was going off in his rookie season with the Eagles. You would hope for him to cap this situation off, and he lost the chance at getting the MVP because of his injury. Now this is the same thing in front of Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. I feel bad about the situation in front of Mike Vrabel and the offense, but now more than ever, Ryan Tannehill is going to have to prove that he earned that $100 million contract. He's going to have to prove it. There's nothing else. They can't have Julio go out there and not be able to score the ball. A.J. Brown is doing the best that he can with this offense. He's actually excelling. But with Derrick Henry out, all hands have to be on deck, especially for them to at least remain relevant in the entire AFC. I think they still win the AFC South, but to contend for a AFC championship or further, Ryan Tannehill, the keys are yours. That is a great call, Ty. You could not be more right. This is going to put the pressure on Ryan Tannehill to step up, and you hit it perfectly. He is going to have to help carry the load for this offense. I'm not sure he can do it, though. This is a guy who relies so heavily on the play-action pass and going up against defenses that are loading the box to stop a guy like Derrick Henry. It really opens up things downfield for him. Now, he does have two explosive wide receivers that you touched on, so the cupboard isn't bare. He does have some weapons here, but this is going to be a big loss. Adrian Peterson, as we know, is clearly not the player he was in his prime, but maybe he can add some pop to this running game and keep the ship afloat, so to speak. But when you look at it, since 2019, the Titans are 18-3 and three when Derrick Henry rushes for 100 yards or more, and they're just 8-10 and 10 when he doesn't. So his presence has been huge for them, and it's going to be felt when they, when they lose him here for several weeks. There are reports that he could come back by playoff time, but this definitely dampers what has been a great start to the year for the Tennessee Titans. Currently, the Titans have a 99% chance of making the playoffs and a 97% chance of winning the AFC South. But as we know, when you lose a guy like this, all bets are off because we now know that this could potentially be a race in that division. It'll be fascinating to see how the Titans respond from this. Ty, I want to jump into some NFL games, some big games this week, like there always are in the National Football League. I want to look back at this Monday night game between the Giants and Chiefs. Not an all-time great game. It was a close game. It was certainly closer than the experts thought. Vegas had this at a 10.5-point spread at kickoff, and the Giants really shot themselves in the foot. They had multiple opportunities to take control of this game and even win this game, and it feels like they kind of gave this one away. Mahomes was really average at best with 275 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. But he had multiple throws in this game that could have been picked off, looked like they probably should have been picked off. The Giants got their hands on multiple passes. They couldn't haul them in. Mahomes also got away with a pick late in the game that was called back because of an offsides penalty on New York. Patrick Mahomes also fumbled but was recovered by KC. The turnovers continue to plague this team on offense. They just don't look like that team we've seen in the last couple of years. That track meet, that explosive offense has seemed to have evaporated here. What do you make of this win by the Chiefs, but a very uninspiring one? When me looking at the scenario with the, the Chiefs playing not like themselves, and I feel like this can turn around at any given moment, they just looking questionable. And I think it's a rush of them putting these pieces together with Josh Gordon coming into the fold, them not being without their running back Clyde Tolaire. He's not there as well. So they're actually working by committee with the running backs also. 
And it's just something about Travis Kelsey at this point in time where I don't know if he's comfortable. I don't know if there's a lingering injury or what. Just something about him that he's not playing like himself that we've at least seen for the past three to five years of him playing dominant football at the tight end position. Uh, The one thing that's consistent that you can't deal with is the cheetah. Tyreek Hill has been the the one that's been able to make a difference on that field because a lot of corners just really can't stay with the speed that he has on any given play. He's been a consistent cog to score the ball for the Kansas City Chiefs and Mahomes has been able to go there. The question is, is if, if Mahomes can play consistent football and he's young, I think he can definitely turn this around within this season, but also in his career as well. But this is not what we've seen for the past three seasons where he's been a threat to the entire conference. Right now, he looks vulnerable. Superman has now saw a kryptonite, and the rest of the team has to come here. So I don't know if it's a situation where Lois could save him, but they need Lois to come around here as soon as possible. Again, they're only a game or two away from the lead within a division that's somewhat favorable. They'll probably get to rewrite this ship as they play the Packers this upcoming week. And also right behind that, they play the Raiders in Las Vegas. So if they win that Sunday night matchup up against the Raiders, that's a key situation for them at this point in time. But they have to turn this around. This offense is what's got to start clicking because their defense is just empty. There's nothing in the cupboard at all. The defense, they they need to score points. The the Chiefs to win games nowadays are going to have to give you, and I want to be fair with the number, let's just say 31 to 34 points. They're going to have to do that every game to win. Now, this is an unfortunate situation because they play the Giants. The Giants are definitely shooting themselves in the foot with injury and don't really have that stronghold on the offense, including with the quarterback and Daniel Jones. So they actually dodged a bullet playing this team. You're right, Ty, because Giants head coach Joe Judge said after the game, quote, we have to eliminate mistakes that we made down the stretch we can't allow a team like this to have extra opportunities that's typical coach speak after a game but he's absolutely right Ty the Giants had every opportunity to win this game and the Giants had a good game plan they forced Kansas City to throw just about everything underneath they took away the deep ball they took away the big home run plays and that's what teams are really doing we talked about this last week on the podcast teams have really started to figure out ways to slow down this offense, make them be more methodical, and they just haven't been able to adjust. If not for an offsides penalty, a questionable face mask, and a taunting penalty penalty by the Giants, multiple dropped picks that I talked about, I think the Giants easily win this game. You hit on it perfectly, though, Ty. The Chiefs have the toughest remaining schedule in the NFL going forward. You talked about it. The Packers, Raiders, Cowboys in the next three weeks Plus, they have the Bengals, Chargers, and Steelers who are starting to play better as well. They haven't beaten a team with a winning record this season. They have gone from an AFC favorite to a very average-looking football team. So even with this win, can this Chiefs team win the Super Bowl this season? That's a heavy question. The possibility is yes. I'll say yes, they can still win it. Will they do it? I don't think so. I don't think this is their year. I think they fall apart. Uh, Usually when you have a Super Bowl loser, they usually don't make the playoffs. This may rear its head this season. I think that they may potentially miss the playoffs if this continues to be shaky play. They're inconsistent. I've never seen an offense like this in front of Andy Reid. I think they will probably end up falling short, but I can't say that they will, you know, head over heels, not make the playoffs. But I think the potential is here, the way that everybody's been playing them strong. They're struggling up against the New York Giants team, where I clearly say that they're a way better team than what they put out this past Monday night. So 
I think it will be another team that will be representing the AFC. Unfortunately, they've been there for the past two seasons, been in the AFC Championship for the past three. I think this all falls apart right now. Even though Patrick Mahomes is still a threat, he's still Michael Jackson in a thriller coat, but I don't think this is his year. I think you're right, Ty, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out, especially these next few weeks. I think they lose these next three games. I think they're going to be severely outmatched in these games, and I think this season does come off the rails. And it's been a very disappointing year for them, certainly for a team that had big-time aspirations. But I want to shift to another game here, Ty, over the weekend. Steelers-Browns AFC North rivalry game. Defensive end Miles Garrett, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. He made a scene showing up in a Grim Reaper costume with the names of the quarterbacks he has sacked on the cape of it. He also put tombstones in his yard of the quarterbacks as well for Halloween decorations. This really got a lot of pub going into this game. But after the game, quarterback Ben Roethlisberger said, quote, he can keep the tombstone in his yard. I'll take the win. Big Ben is now 24-3-1 versus the Browns in his career. They pull off a big-time win on the road in Cleveland. I tell you this, there's a lot of people that have counted Ben Roethlisberger out, and I am a huge Ben Roethlisberger fan. Father Time is in his rearview mirror and literally catching up to him, and I really didn't want to see Ben look like this walking out the door. I'm up here saying basically get somebody here to replace him or get somebody to pick up the offense, or if he really does start to struggle. And somehow, some way, Ben has been able to turn this thing around and get them above 500. Steelers had went on that 11-game run last year. Getting to the month of December, and things start to fall apart. He loses that game in the playoffs, and he's just sitting on that sideline and looking off into the wind, basically looking like it's over. And what do I do at the end of my career? And did not give up. It came back, sluggish start, just like he started out last year, had a sluggish start turn things around. And it's looking like Ben is up to the old tricks again. One of the best quarterbacks I've seen in NFL history for him to get this done. Now, not like he's putting up some gaudy numbers. Not like they went out there and smoked the Browns like crazy. They won the game 15 to 10, but still yet, still being able to stay in this game, stay around these youngsters because they're young to him now. Ben is approaching 40 this March and still being able to contend and not have a losing season since, or at least being with Tomlin at this point in time. I got to give the Steelers their credit at this point in time and this offense to stick through it with them and try to make a difference within the AFC North. Yeah, you're right, Ty. Tomlin is so underrated. It's it's just crazy because on paper, this is a mismatch in a lot of different areas, but Pittsburgh has won three games in a row. They've really turned it around. They're not winning pretty. Like you said, It's not they're not blowing teams out with their offense, certainly, but the O-line is very young. They've got two rookies starting and a lot of guys that don't have a lot of experience as well, but they're getting better. They really opened up some holes in this game for running back Najee Harris, first-round draft pick out of Alabama. This kid is a stud. He is really starting to come on. He looks like a franchise running back. Rookie tight end Pat Fryermuth had an incredible touchdown catch. He's starting to come on as well. The defense is still really good. We know that. They got after this Browns offense and really slowed them down. This is the only bottom 16 offense in the NFL with a winning record. 
So hats off once again to Mike Tomlin and the Steelers for continuing to be competitive in a very competitive division. Before the season started, the Browns were not only AFC North favorites, but many analysts and writers were picking them to make the Super Bowl. Now they sit in dead last in their division, and they have scored 17 or less in four of their last five games This offense looks broken right now, Ty. I don't want to hear excuses about injuries because by week seven, quite frankly, nobody in the NFL is healthy. This roster has too much talent to be this average. What more does Baker Mayfield need? He has the best O-line in the NFL, two stud wide receivers, the deepest backfield in the NFL, two good tight ends. I don't want any more excuses about this guy. He needs to be playing at a higher level if the Browns are going to do anything. And it showed up again in this game. At this point, forget the Super Bowl talk. Will the Browns make the playoffs, Ty? This is a bad situation for the Browns. I don't think so. Due to the fact that he's playing with an injured uh, labrum, if I'm not mistaken, they've also had injuries with these receivers being in and out of the lineup with Landry as well as Odell Beckham. The one thing that's uh, lurking around this team is their running game is carrying this team while everybody's been waiting for Baker to make the turn. Baker is now looking like the issue. As much as you guys have been hearing us episode in and episode out, me and Brad going back and forth, Brad being the bad cop, I'm trying my best to be the good cop. I can no longer defend you, Baker. You've been out in these streets acting too crazy. We have to bring you in for whatever questioning or over. I don't know the protocol that the cops do, but this is how I feel like I want to state it. Uh, he's not been able to make throws past the intermediate. I think from the line of scrimmage to about as far as a 25-yard mark, that's as far as his throws will go. There's plays where he has downfield that he just won't make the throw. And this is hurting receivers like Odell Beckham, who has the speed or potential to get past these defenders, and Baker can't get the ball there or is not seeing him in a situation where Odell Beckham's father made an 11-minute clip of how many times Baker has not seen him wide open or has missed him wide open or thrown passes wide open. So this is incredible that his father's been able to break down film. They need other receivers to actually go underneath and make these plays or get a quarterback in as soon as possible, like Case Keenum that's sitting right behind him that can make these throws. Case Keenum has also gotten some postseason experience playing with the Minnesota Vikings and the Minnesota Miracle, things of that nature. There's somebody that has to interrupt this situation because, Baker, this can no longer happen while this team has stout receivers, a tight end, and a crazy running game to compliment you. You are the issue at this point in time. Ty, you're absolutely right about Baker Mayfield. He definitely is the issue here. You just can't put it on the play calling. You can't put it on the guys around him. There's too much talent. You hit it perfectly. But the one thing you hit on was Odell Beckham Jr. He is a guy that really just has not lived up to the expectations since they traded for him. He has not been the the impact player that many people thought he would be in this offense. It just doesn't fit. Something doesn't fit with him and Baker. I know it's probably more Baker than it is Odell at this point, but I don't blame his dad. I don't blame LeBron and some of these people going to social media and trying to get Odell Beckham Jr. out of there. If I was the Browns, I would have traded him before this deadline and gotten some assets back because he just isn't valuable to this team, yet he still could have been a good trading piece that could have brought something back to this franchise. I think it was a wrong move by them to not move Odell Beckham Jr., but we'll see how it plays out the rest of the year. He's clearly unhappy. He didn't want to come out and say it himself, but let's face it, we know Odell was behind the tweets and the post from 
with family and friends here about wanting out of Cleveland. It really feels like it's starting to come off the rails for the Cleveland Browns, a team that had big expectations like we talked about. So we'll see if they can right the ship going forward, but it hasn't been pretty, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But Ty, I want to jump into another game that was really crazy. We had an overtime game between the Colts and the Titans in the AFC South, a big-time divisional matchup. Colts were up 14-0 in the first quarter. Tennessee scores the next two touchdowns in the second quarter to tie it up, and this game went back and forth into overtime. What are your thoughts on this one? i tell you this. Just like I said, uh, we had a situation where this was an AFC South battle. They know each other well, but looking at the way that the Titans were able to play football and stay in front of the uh, the curve, if you will, and not falling victim to a team that literally is trying to save themselves because the, the Colts have a good defense. I can't take that away from them. But Wentz actually tried to come out and make this an interesting game and just fell apart in the midst of this game. He had some very costly errors, uh, but still stayed afloat to keep these guys in it. And unfortunately, uh, it turned downhill. And of course, like we talked about at the beginning of the uh, show, uh, Derrick Henry uh, being knocked out of the for the season, if you will, um, they they had this held together while Henry was uh, nursing an injury. He was actually playing through it as best as he possibly can. He was on the sideline without his shoe on. So they were actually trying to figure that out and come to find out it's a broken bone in the foot. Uh, but nevertheless, this was an incredible game. It went as far as it possibly can, but the Titans were able to pull this out. The Titans did what they could uh, to survive the storm up against the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, Ty, you touched on it. Carson Wentz was sharp for parts of this game. He made some really big-time throws, but his quarterback rating was only 68, and a big part of that was those costly interceptions. He threw a terrible interception late in the fourth where he backpedals into the end zone, gets pressured, and throws one up for grabs left-handed that gets returned for six. Then he hits Pittman deep on a third and 16 with under a minute to go. This game was absolutely crazy, Ty. A pass interference on the Titans in the end zone sets up a first and goal with 25 seconds in regulation. They score a game-tying touchdown on a wildcat formation to force overtime when it looked like this game was all but over. They go back and forth in overtime until Carson Wentz throws another terrible pick, which leads to a game-winning field goal for the Titans. This was the craziest game of the Sunday slate for sure. Wentz is one of those guys we've talked about, Ty, a couple times on this show. He can make those wow plays. But I still maintain he's just too reckless with the football, and it showed up in a big way in this game. On a side note here, Ty, Michael Pittman, the wide receiver for the Colts, this guy is a stud. The second-year Colts wide receiver out of USC, he was taken one pick after the Bengals took T. Higgins, who's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's a good player. But Pittman is on pace for 90 catches, 1,200 yards, and eight touchdowns this season, while, while Higgins is on pace for 58 receptions, 700 yards, and only four touchdowns. I came on this show after the draft, and I said the Bengals really missed when they had a chance to take Michael Pittman and went with T. Higgins instead, the wide receiver out of Clemson. I was sky high on Pittman, and I've really been proven right. Now, I've had a lot of calls on this podcast where I missed, but this one I think I nailed. Michael Pittman looks like a legit number one wide receiver, and he's really starting to come into his own. 
All right, Ty, it's that time again for NFL Week 8 Game Balls. Ty, who do you got this week? Who are you giving out the game ball, the PGF game ball in the NFL? The game ball that I have is going to Cooper Cup, the guy that's electrifying the league at the receiver position. He has seven receptions, 115 yards, and a touchdown. It's seeming like no secondary can deal with him at this point in time. He's been able to at least score a touchdown in majority of the games this season and at least put up enough numbers that these defenses somehow, some way, are looking at him like he's some secret. He is not a secret. This is his lead to try to get to a postseason run, and I think that if he stays healthy, he's a threat for this team. I'll go with Cooper Cup to be the guy for the Rams at this point in time. Man, Cooper Cup, the wide receiver for the Rams, you're right, Ty. This guy has been unbelievable this year. He is putting up video game numbers. Nobody can stop him. Great call by you. My NFL Week 8 game ball is going out to the Saints defense. The Saints gave the ball back to Tom Brady late in this game, and this defense stepped up big on the final drive with a sack and a game-sealing pick versus Tom Brady. They had two picks, a forced fumble, three sacks, and six tackles for a loss. Jameis Winston went down with an injury in this game, and the defense stepped up big versus a Bucks offense that came in red hot. They played one of their best games of the year. Hats off to them and a huge win for them. Saints defense, you get my game ball for week eight. But Ty, I want to shift gears to college football. It just keeps getting crazier. I want to touch on the number one team in the country here, Ty, a team that we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, but I think it's time to recognize just how special this Georgia defense is. This unit is elite. They absolutely shut down the Gators last week. They've been shutting down everyone that gets in their way this year. They should cruise to an SEC championship game. Their remaining schedule really doesn't have anybody that scares me until they get there. I think this team is virtually a lock for the college football playoff. But here's the thing. The last five national championship teams had future starting NFL quarterbacks. Stetson Bennett is certainly not that, Ty. We know that. He's a decent, average college football quarterback. He's not terrible, but he's average at best. They haven't played a legit passing offense yet this season. Can they win the national championship with an average quarterback under center? Uh, Yes, I absolutely think they can. The reason being that this defense has been able to hold teams in check. And the crazy part is we started to see the season when they played Clemson and holding that to a basically a, a standoff where one team had to break and give up a pick six and them going to war with other teams and putting up as much as 30 to 40 points in some instances. So if Stetson could actually carry this, I, I'd be impressed. I think that they will run into a contender that could give them a tough game, whether it is Alabama. We have to see as much of this breakdown as the rankings come out and seeing if anybody falls off cliff or things of that nature fall into play. But I think Georgia can get it done. Will they? We have to see because their history, they got as close as they could up against Alabama where Tua had to make that throw late to Devontae Smith for them to win that one. It's not from them the last time this Georgia University or University of Georgia, excuse me, has won a national championship was 41 years ago. They are long overdue. I think they can make it happen. But will they? We have to see this quarterback play and prove 
if they want to go further. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see if they switch, if Kirby Smart switches from Stetson Bennett, who's been good, don't get me wrong, he's been very solid, but if they switch from him to JT Daniels, the original starter who I think has a much higher ceiling than Stetson Bennett, it'll be interesting to see if they make that move at all or if they stay pat because they're rolling right now, and with that defense, they certainly don't need to put up big points on the offensive side of the ball but they are eventually going to run into a team like you mentioned, an Alabama, possibly an Ohio State, maybe an Oklahoma, one of these type of teams that can really light up the scoreboard, and that defense is going to be tested as good as they've been. They're going to be tested, and I think they're going to have to be in a game at some point where they're going to have to rely on the offense to put up some points and take some burden off of them. It'll be fascinating to see what happens there with the quarterback position. But I want to jump into some college football news. TCU head coach Gary Patterson was fired this week. This is a guy, Ty, that has a bronze statue outside of the stadium. He won the Big 12 in 2014. He won the Mountain West four times prior to being in the Big 12. He won a Rose Bowl at TCU. And he is the reason that they even play in a Power 5 conference. He was with this team when they were in the WAC, Conference USA, Mountain West, and all the way to the Big 12. I was really shocked that they let go of Gary Patterson. I know they haven't lived up to maybe their expectations, but this is TCU, and no disrespect to them, but what are their expectations? Do they think that they're a blue blood in college football? I I just was really shocked by this firing. What did you make of it, Ty? As uh, much as Patterson's been able to do with this TCU team, they've been strongly competitive within the Big 12, but not able to turn a corner, whether getting to a Big 12 championship and winning it or getting into this playoff and winning it. The one thing about TCU is that they've been able to have good offensive powerhouse balance, whether it be running the ball or passing. Uh, Duggan being a good quarterback himself, They've just not been able to turn the corner. And I don't know if it's his system or the way that he handles these kids, if he's a player coach or what, they've had enough and they want to go in a different direction. It's unfortunate because Patterson's been a mainstay for this university. And uh, I just could think back to the Doxon days and the way they were able to have that four-streak situation and let all of these receivers go crazy and them be a powerhouse in the passing game. This is no longer a threat to a lot of the teams in the Big 12. I don't think they could turn the corner with Patterson. I think that they feel like they have to go anew and get a stronger stronghold within the uh, conference. Yeah, that's that makes total sense, Ty. That must be their thinking here. I just thought it was fascinating that they did it in the middle of the season. A guy who has meant so much to this program, I thought it was a really shocking firing. Clearly, they want to go in a different direction. Maybe there's some behind-the-scenes things that we're not aware of, but it was definitely eyebrow-raising when I saw that headline hit the wire here. But, Ty, the next head coach, who I think could be on his way out, is Nebraska's Scott Frost. They're 3-6 and six and only have one win versus a Power 5 team in Northwestern. They play Ohio State this week. Good luck, Nebraska. Yeah, I, I think this is a situation where Frost cannot save the situation. Nebraska has not been themselves uh, since he's gotten there. The coaches before him. I think they have to try to somehow implement that running system and surprise people with the passing game. That's not there. He's trying to balance this out, and knowing he's a natural quarterback, this just isn't it for Nebraska. 
Uh, they're no longer a, a threat or a powerhouse that we're used to seeing. And this has been for decades that they were a powerhouse. At this point in time, I want to say for the last decade or so, they've been losing handily to a lot of teams. They play stronger teams. They're not even in competition. It's, it's looking like a rollover situation. Nebraska has to find a strong coach. They have to change the culture. And he's not the guy at this point in time. I, I really feel bad that Nebraska looks like this. As much as I'm a fan of another team within the country, I always love to see a Nebraska team out there competing, whether they were used to being a top 10 when I used to see them. But now Nebraska is no longer ranked. They can't even get any big names to come there to rattle the cage if they will up in their own conference. So uh, I think Frost is out of there. I think this is a bad situation. He should have stayed put in Florida if he couldn't have made this change here in his old stomping grounds. Yeah, he was such a good coach. He was an offensive coordinator at Oregon. He did great things with that offense. That led to him getting the job at UCF where he had the undefeated season and took them to national highs that they had really never seen prior. It felt like a home run hire, bringing back the former quarterback, the Nebraska legend, bringing him back to Lincoln where he could maybe give this program a surge and get them going back in the right direction but it has not worked out Ty they're dead last in the Big Ten West this year they're facing a fifth consecutive losing season they would need to beat Ohio State Wisconsin and Iowa to even be bowl eligible I think we both know that is not going to happen the recruiting you touched on this briefly Ty the recruiting has not been there. And we know that recruiting is the bloodline of college football. X's and O's are important, but it's more about the Jimmies and Joes. You have to have the players coming to your school if you're going to compete at a big-time level. And he has not been able to bring the kids into Nebraska. He's had two subpar recruiting classes in a row. He has another one on deck this year. It's time to pull the plug on this hire and admit Nebraska it's not the 1990s anymore. You've got to find someone new, a young, hungry coach who can try to give this program a spark. I want to stay in the Big Ten here, Ty, and touch on the game of the week in college football. We had a top 10 matchup between rival teams, then number six, Michigan, at number eight, Michigan State. First time that both schools were in the top 10 and undefeated since 1964. This game was electric. Yes, and if you look at this situation, this is big brother versus little brother. And the surprising thing is the little brother came into their backyard, their own backyard, and won this game. Impressive situation by Michigan State to withstand everything Michigan threw at them. Michigan looked like they had momentum, took the lead, and Michigan State got right back into this game. I can't take away much of the efforts from this team. There's one significant person that I have to give my game ball to, Kenneth Walker. The way that this guy has been able to be a stronghold for this run that they've been on from the beginning of the season till now, I can't get away from him. He's been phenomenal for the Spartans. Yeah, this game was crazy, Ty, and I want to touch on him as well. But Michigan, they went up 30-14, to 14 and it felt like they were going to pull away in this one. But then Michigan State ends the game on a 23-3 to run, and the home fans were going crazy. It was an incredible scene at Michigan State. But we got to talk about Jim Harbaugh, Ty, because he is now 2-12 versus top 10 teams. And he has a losing record versus rival Michigan State. And he's winless versus Ohio State. I think it's safe to say that this Jim Harbaugh experience has not lived up to the expectations that Michigan fans and people around the country thought it would. They've been good, 
but they haven't been able to get over the hump. And when you're losing to your rivals, it is salt in the wound. I think his seat is heating up in a hurry, even though they were number six and off to an undefeated start and they've had a nice season so far, you can't keep losing these type of games and not have your seat catch fire. It did feel like everything was going Michigan State's way, though. And I want to be fair to this game because including the refs. Now, I don't bang on refs too much on this podcast because, quite frankly, I don't think they play a huge factor most of the time. But Michigan got screwed, quite frankly, on a Kenneth Walker touchdown where the ball was clearly out at the goal line, a questionable two-point review that went against them and I think every close call or review down the stretch seemed to go the Spartans way I'm not making excuses but the ball certainly did not bounce their way in this one but I want to touch on Kenneth Walker you're giving your game ball to him Ty and rightfully so because this guy was incredible he carried this team on his back Kenneth Walker's ability at the second level to accelerate make guys miss, break tackles. Man, he is really fun to watch. Now the question becomes, will he win the Heisman and will Michigan State make the college football playoff? I think without question, he's the Heisman winner. I give it to him right now. Somebody's going to have to come up with an impressive run at this point in time. Will they win a national championship? I feel like it's a strong no. I feel like there's teams out there that's playing stronger ball than them, but they've been having their element of surprise and how sweet would the success would be if they could bring a championship back to East Lansing. Without any question, I feel like he's the Heisman winner. And finally, finally, it's been something other than a quarterback, something other than a quarterback. It's so interesting that we've been able to see year after year. It's always a quarterback hoisting the trophy. We had Devontae Smith being a receiver after a while, and I think they more or less gave it to him after the run that they got on after Waddle went down. But um, other than that, this has predominantly been a quarterback award, and I'm starting to see consistency throughout the committee to go another way. I I really think this is Walker's year. Yeah, I think you're right, Ty. This guy has been awesome, and Michigan State could be in the mix here. Now, the Big Ten is a deep conference this year. They're going to have to get by Ohio State, and there's no guarantees of that by any stretch. I think Ohio State is still the favorite, And they're going to have some tough games, but Michigan State looks really good right now. And they've had an awesome season. So hats off to them and Kenneth Walker for sure. I want to shift to a team that has really surprised me these last couple weeks, Ty. The Miami Hurricanes, after a disappointing 2-4 and start and losing starting quarterback De'Eric King to injury, the season looked all but lost for the U. But they found their future quarterback here, Ty, in Tyler Van Dyke, the freshman has been lighting it up. I want to get your thoughts on him and these two big wins back-to-back weeks for the Miami Hurricanes. I'm actually kind of biased, as you guys probably know. I'm a Miami Hurricane diehard fan. Um, It's been tough for me to watch the way that this season started, the way they got out the gates and got manhandled by Alabama, losing a game to Michigan State where I feel like they were in it, losing two questionable games to North Carolina where they got to the, the red zone and he gets a, a ball batted in the air and picked off to end the game. And then the excruciating one where they basically settled for a field goal with a minute left on the clock. The running game and the passing game were working. They were just basically making sure they ran the ball three times to get the ball square in the middle of the uprights. And then the kick gets blocked. It's kind of like that's what Carmen brings its head around. Now you finally got Tyler Van Dyke with a, a breed of confidence. And me being biased, I am a Connecticut guy. 
And guess where Tyler Van Dyke is from? Connecticut also. For him to go down there in South Beach and start ripping stuff up, this is a breath of fresh air because it's like <laughs> my state is helping South Beach at this point in time. As much as I thought it was over when De'Eric King got injured, also with Bubba Bolden going out for the season two, you had two big-time injuries from two players that received money from the team with NIL, and they both are out for the season. And the Miami Hurricanes are doing better without both of them. And and I really feel confident in the way that they've been playing since. So if Tyler can keep this up, the offense strongly believes in him. He's been threatened by Garcia behind him. And, and Jake Garcia is a phenomenal quarterback out of the South region. Jake is going to have his hands full trying to deal with what Tyler's been doing oppressively enough. If Tyler can go into that Florida State game next Saturday, because this Saturday have Georgia Tech, they have to win this game. They can't overlook Georgia Tech. But if he could win this game and the next game up against Florida State, this is an incredible run by a rookie that was not supposed to be starting, let alone being the man in South Beach. I am a diehard. I love every last bit of it. And he's ready for everything that's been coming at him. Connecticut and Miami, I, I love every last bit of it. <laughs> Ty, I know you do, man. In Miami, like I talked about, they've knocked off two top 20 teams in back-to-back weeks. And this freshman, man, he is lighting it up. He lit it up on Saturday with 426 yards and three touchdowns in a big upset win over Pitt. In the past two games, he's completing 75% of his throws for 757 yards, seven touchdowns, and only one interception. You look at Miami's four losses. Alabama and Michigan State are a combined 15-1. and one. They lost to UNC and Virginia by a combined five points. Those were competitive games, but now with two impressive wins in a row and a young quarterback lighting it up, this youth movement in Miami is suddenly promising. You've got to love what you've seen from the Miami Hurricanes. Like we said, after a shaky start, things are really starting to look up in South Beach. But Ty, it's time for the college football week nine helmet stickers. You got the rabbit out of the hat here early. Yours is going to Kenneth Walker. We know that. I'm going to give mine tie to the Notre Dame offensive line. This group had a really rough start to the year, but they're really starting to gel and they had their best performance of the season last Saturday. They didn't allow a sack or even a hit on the quarterback, and they only gave up three quarterback pressures in this entire game while opening up big holes in the running game that rushed for 293 yards versus UNC. This offensive line was dominant, and they got a big-time win. So hats off to the Irish O-line. It's that time again, Ty, to update the NFL PGF Power Rankings. We do it every week. I put a lot of thought into it. We're going to let Ty tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong on these, but I'm going to kick it off here, Ty, at number 10, the Las Vegas Raiders at 5-2 and two and back on top in the AFC West. This team has overcome the Gruden scandal, but now can they overcome losing their big play wide receiver, Henry Ruggs? We'll have to wait and see, but a good season so far for them and back in the top 10. At number 9, another team back in the top 10, the New Orleans Saints. Also at 5-2, and two, this team found a way to win versus a very good Buccaneers team without their starting quarterback. Defensive coordinator Dennis Allen doesn't get enough credit for that side of the ball. They've been really good these last few years under him. At number 8, 
the Baltimore Ravens, also at 5-2. and two. This offense has stalled the past two games. Their defense has been hot and cold, but coming off of a bye, I expect a really good showing versus the Vikings, who just lost to Dallas in a backup quarterback. This could be a get-right game for the Ravens. At number 7, the Tennessee Titans at 6-2. and two. Now, I'd like to put them higher after a big division win versus the Colts, but losing an MVP-level running back makes me think that this team is now vulnerable, so I hesitate to put them closer to the top five, but still a very good team, and I still think they could potentially win the AFC South. At number six, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're also at six and two. Long-term, I still buy into this team, but this was a bad loss to the Saints, who have won the last three regular season matchups versus the Buccaneers, and it's the perfect time for a bye, and hopefully they can get healthy soon. They've got a lot of guys out. I still think this team is dangerous, but they need to bounce back after that loss. At number five, the Dallas Cowboys, who are 6-1, and one, an impressive win with backup quarterback Cooper Rush that really showed me just how good this team is. Dallas's defense is what really impressed me the most in this game. They took wide receiver Justin Jefferson completely out of this ballgame, and they pressured Kirk Cousins all night. A nice win for them. They keep on rolling. At number four, the Buffalo Bills, who are 5-2, and two. this offense was a little flat coming off of a bye, but they got it going in the second half with 23 points on their last four possessions versus the Dolphins. The Bills' defense also got it going, holding Miami to only 262 total yards. I've talked about it on prior episodes. This is a very complete football team and probably the only elite AFC team. At number three... The LA Rams, who are 7-1, their only loss is to 7-1 Arizona. They're all in on a Super Bowl. We talked about it in the beginning of the episode. They just added three-time all-pro pass rusher to a defense that leads the NFL in sacks already. The offense is rolling. It's Super Bowl or bust in LA. At number two, the Arizona Cardinals, 7-1. and one. I almost dropped them further down, but I don't want to overreact to a close loss to a good team. Kyler Murray's health is a concern going forward, and they need to tighten up the rush defense if they want to go all the way. But this team is still very dangerous, but they got a little bit exposed to the number one team now that jumps all the way up there for the first time this year, the Green Bay Packers at 7-1 and one with seven straight wins and the best win of the NFL season so far, beating Arizona without Devontae Adams and several other starters. An impressive win. The defense looks better and better every week. This team is dangerous right now, Ty. I definitely agree with the situation that the Cardinals losing this game at home with Devontae Adams and another receiver both being out due to COVID. He was without two weapons, and they still went in there and handled business. I felt like the Packers could have ran the scoreboard up more, especially being at the goal line and actually being stopped and giving up a scenario where Kyler Murray goes 95 yards and throws a pick at the end of the game. The Packers did what they needed to do, not only offensively, but defensively, finally coming up with a big turnover late, even though it was a very questionable turnover because A.J. Green, I'm still guessing on what you were doing on that play. I don't know if you were ready to be the playmaker or be the play blocker. I don't I don't know what he was up to, but I definitely have to give the credit to Green Bay to do this up until this point. 
I definitely have my questions on at least the bottom half of the uh, the top 10. New Orleans being ninth with Jameis Winston missing the rest of the season due to injury, uh, tearing his ligaments in his knee. This is going to be significant for that team. The Titans are one thing I have to I question this right now because just like I said with Derrick Henry going down, we don't know which way this team goes. I think that they may end up fall significantly uh, if Tannehill doesn't put a string of wins together without his MVP running back. And the other question that I do have is I'm not too sold on Buffalo Bills being too high. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a better team than them or a two-loss team than them also. I think people have to start giving Dallas their credit, even though they did have a tough win on the road, but they're in there without their starting quarterback and Dak Prescott. If it was a Super Bowl or NFC Championship game, there's no way that they would play that game without Dak Prescott. But they had to do the smart thing because they have so much money invested in him. They have to rest him as best as possible till they get to these games in January to make it all pan out for the Cowboys to make a run. I think one through three uh, being the Packers, the Cardinals, the Rams are asked to follow. Yeah, I think those are fair points, Ty. I, I always think you bring up great points. I love the the commentary back and forth for sure. I think seven through 10 have huge question marks. I'm definitely with you. I think any of those teams could totally fall out of this top 10, but that's why it's updated weekly, guys. We always update it based on the week-to-week results and what happens throughout the season. We'll have a new one for you next week, but it's time to end the show here with our last segment, of course. Pick six. We came back down to Earth PGF Nation, had a rough weekend for you guys. Hopefully we can bounce back. Ty, why don't you kick it off with your first pick of the pick six? The first game that I am going to take, I will take the Virginia Tech Hokies to beat Boston College on the road, giving three to the Eagles. All right, Ty, I like that matchup. I like that matchup a lot. I'm a little surprised the number's only three, so I think there's some good value there for sure. I'm going to kick this off, PGF Nation, with I've got UAB. And I'm going to lay the 13 and a half versus Louisiana Tech. Now, UAB is coming off of a bye. So they've had two weeks to prep for this one. UAB is very good versus the run on defense. And Louisiana Tech has been struggling to run the ball. And on the other side, UAB can run the ball. And Louisiana Tech has struggled to stop the run. This is just a mismatch in this one, Ty. I'm going to lay the 13 and a half. I think UAB rolls in this one. And my second pick reminds me of a song. That was remade by Boys to Men, and it's called It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. Wake Forest loses to North Carolina. I'm going with UNC, giving two and a half to Wake Forest in Chapel Hill. Something is up. As strong as Wake Forest has been playing, they're a top 10 ranked team. North Carolina has been one of these roller coaster seasons where they're winning games and they're losing games, and, and you're surprised that they're losing them. I think North Carolina comes up with the upset, and this could be big. Man, I'll tell you, Ty, that spread says everything because here's Wake Forest, 8-0, and number nine in the country, but Vegas has UNC as a short home favorite minus two and a half. This is a four and four North Carolina team that's been pretty disappointing this year. That tells you that Vegas does not buy in to the nine ranking in the eight and oh record by Wake Forest. They clearly think Wake Forest is a bit of a paper tiger. So I like that pick, Ty. I like that pick a lot, laying the points there. I'm gonna jump to the NFL and I'm gonna take the Indianapolis Colts and I'm gonna lay the ten and a half versus the Jets on Thursday night football. Once again, I've had to adjust the way I bet here, guys, because I would normally never lay a double point or a double digit. 
favorite. It's typically not the move that I like to make in the NFL, but this has been a crazy year where favorites are covering at a high rate, and I think this is another one where they do it. It's a perfect letdown spot for the Jets after a huge upset win versus the Bengals last week. The Colts had an embarrassing finish versus the Titans, as we talked about, but with the Henry injury in Tennessee, they have to feel like they can still win this division. Once again, I find myself laying a big number, but this has been a strange season with favorites covering. I'm going to lay the 10 and a half, Ty. My last pick that I'm going with is the State Battle of Ohio. I'm going with the Bengals giving two and a half to the Browns. We just talked about the inconsistency with Baker Mayfield, all of the issues they're dealing with with injury. And oh, yes, a disgruntled Odell Beckham due to the fact that him and Baker just aren't on the same page. The way that Burrow has been playing, the way that Jamar Chase fit right into the scheme of things, I think their balance of running the ball and passing the ball will have the Bengals trying to build back after an excruciating loss up against the New York Jets. I'm going Bengals, giving two and a half. <laughs> That's, that is awesome, Ty, because this just became a pick five. I've got the Bengals minus two and a half versus the Browns as well. We are totally in sync on this one, Ty. We just talked about the Jets in a letdown spot. This is a bounce back spot for the Bengals versus the Browns offense that is really not clicking right now. Big quarterback mismatch in this one. Burrow bounces back. I'm going to piggyback off what you said as well. I think Chase is a mismatch. I think this offense gets rolling and they cover versus the Browns who are in a free fall right now, it feels like. But that is going to do it for the pick six. If you enjoy the pick six betting segment and like betting on football, be sure to follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast and pintglassfootball.com where we post free weekly NFL and college football betting picks by Pint Glass Football betting analyst Leland Betancourt. But that is going to do it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.